Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Eileen Patricia Curran is the author of Hungry Hill. She spent her earliest years in the suburbs of Springfield, Massachusetts, the primary setting for her debut novel, Hungry Hill, which is named after the Irish Catholic neighborhood her father and grandfather grew up in. She wanted the setting of her debut novel to be familiar to her and imagined what it would be like to return to the neighborhood as an adult after a personal crisis. She attended the University of Texas at Dallas with a BA in economics and finance, Boston College, MBA finance and marketing, and the New York School of Interior Design. By the way, this may be why her book cover has like the most amazing wallpaper, what should be a wallpaper if it isn't ever. But anyway, she currently resides in Florida, the land of weirdness, where she is perpetually amazed by the local headlines. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Hungry Hill. Well, it's very nice to meet you and thank you for inviting me to speak with you. My pleasure. So would you mind telling listeners what Hungry Hill is about and then what inspired you to write it? Hungry Hill is, it's kind of a multi-generational story about two women, 
One is Grace Kavanaugh. She's a great niece to Maggie Riley. And they're both in a personal crisis and they haven't seen each other year in years, but they were close decades ago. And the story is about how Maggie reaches out to Grace after Grace loses her husband and is sort of wallowing in her grief and can't seem to get beyond it. And Maggie convinces Grace to move in with her to help her while she is very ill with metastatic breast cancer and to take care of her because Maggie is someone who never married. She's lived alone in the house that she grew up in, in Hungry Hill, which is an Irish Catholic neighborhood in the Springfield neighbor in the uh, Springfield area. And Maggie and Grace live together and they bond and reconnect and they help each other through what they're both going through. And they kind of build a village, people in the neighborhood to help them both with what they're dealing with. And I decided to write novel length fiction a few years ago. And I really wanted to use a setting and people that I felt like I understood and could write about. And my dad actually grew up in Hungry Hill. And I used to go there all the time when I was a kid. And I had a great aunt, Catherine Curran, who lived in the same house she was born in. And my dad was actually the third generation to live in the house. And he grew up there. And my great aunt, Catherine, raised him. So I knew the neighborhood really well. I lived in the Springfield area when I was young, and I certainly knew the character Catherine Curran, and she was quite a piece of work. She was really somebody who was alive. She had a huge personality. It was very easy to draw on her personality to create a fictional character. And I kind of put myself in the situation of Grace Kavanaugh mentally. Like, what would happen if I lost someone who was my, you know, great love and I couldn't move on? I really got stuck emotionally. What could I do about that? And she kind of gives into the idea of taking somebody, taking care of somebody else to put aside her own grief and to see what happens. And I I just decided, okay, well, I'm going to imagine I have lost my great love. I'm moving from a very posh town, Greenwich, Connecticut, to a very blue-collar Irish Catholic neighborhood to move in with my great aunt. And what would that be like? What would the relationship be like? And how could they nurture each other? So that's why I chose the setting and chose the story. And are you, do you live in Greenwich? No, but I did for quite a long time. And I'm from Connecticut as an adult. I I grew up in Springfield as a kid. And then my family moved to Connecticut. And I kind of lived all over the place, Dallas, LA, Boston, and ended up in Connecticut for a number of years and lived in Greenwich and loved the town and thought it would make a great dichotomy for my story as I compare it to Hungry Hill. And what did it feel like to put yourself in the shoes of someone who has lost their great love? I mean, that is not an easy place to be emotionally. 
No, but I've had my share of loss. I think, you know, everybody experiences some loss. And as you get older, you experience more in different types of loss. So it was pretty easy for me to imagine being alone, being devastated by losing somebody that I really cared about. And I did think from the beginning that I personally would use a lot of humor to get through it. So there's a lot of humor in the novel. I think people don't expect that it's really supposed to be a funny novel. And I get there as quickly as I can after I create the setting. I let the readers know that Grace is going through this sort of personal trauma and that she's moved to Hungry Hill to take care of her great aunt. But then I tried very quickly to get into what was funny about the situation. I have a very funny family. My great aunt Catherine was hysterically funny. My dad was a funny guy. So it was easy for me to see how people would use humor to tease each other, to become intimate with each other, to sort of put their circumstances into a place that they could both tolerate. And so that's what I went with, humor. And I mean, there's a lot of angst, but I like to think that the humor definitely mitigates it quite often in the novel. Well, I feel like even as you as you set up the setting originally and you have Maggie coming in with her giant dogs and her aunt sort of being totally taken aback in right. some sort of headscarf on the roof, like trying to clean and then this giant dog. And she's like, oh my gosh, like what's she going to think about my other dog if this little dog is a problem? Because she has like a human sized animal, some Afghan or something, right? Wasn't it an Afghan? Uh, Irish wolf now. Yeah. yeah. Really, sorry. I'm, that's okay. That's okay. Big, big dog. Big, big dog. You're right. Yes. Big, um, big dog. So I feel and, like, you know, there's like a playfulness to the whole thing right away. And you just know that antics will ensue and what will happen with these women and, you know, all of that. <laughs> well, and I think in real life, even when we go through things that are horribly traumatic, whether it's death or divorce or problems with our children, there are always things about it that are hysterically funny. <laughs> and, you know, maybe not all the time, maybe they're just moments where we think, you know, there is humor in this. And because I personally like to focus on that, and I find that that gets me through so much, I tried to do a lot of setups for some warm, soft humor. And the dogs for me were very important. I'm very much a dog person. And they all have their personalities and they're just like people. And it was pretty easy to take the two dogs she ended up in Hungry Hill with and give them personalities that help support the relationship between the great aunt and the great niece. And I really... I, you know, a lot of the, the way I wrote was very organic. So I didn't really realize until I was getting into the story that Maggie and Stogie, who's the mutt, would become very close mm -hmm. and inseparable, really, and how much that would mean to Maggie. And that Ellen, who's the wolfhound, would become a homing influence for everybody that she was just this steady, sweet, good-natured force. And so I use those as mechanisms to sort of take things down a notch or make things more intimate and to bridge the gap between Grace and Maggie. 
you have kids? How old are your kids? I have one son and he's 24. So, you know, I can tell you as a mother of a grown son that it does get quieter and easier over time. And (laughs) one certainly is easier than four, but um, children are still, you know, they take effort and work to raise and yeah. yeah, but it actually wasn't until my son was out of the house, he was in boarding school that I really started to write. Because for me, I'm just very, very busy person. And to clear the headspace that it takes to write, to focus, to really think about how I want to write and what I want to write, I can't have (laughs) huge distractions. So it actually took me quite a long time to write Hungry Hill. I wrote sort of the first draft and finished maybe three or four years ago. And then I worked with a professional editor. And then I really spent two years just learning how to write fiction properly, which, you know, even though I'm an avid reader and have read hundreds of novels, it's still different when you sit down and there are all of these rules to follow and things to think about and So I love that process. I loved learning how to write because my background is actually in finance and marketing. So it didn't come as naturally to me as someone who has an MFA or who's, you know, degreed in creative writing, but it was a lot of fun. And I really had the time when COVID came along (laughs) to, you know, kind of clear the decks and figure out what I wanted to do with my finished manuscript. So that was more fun than writing the novel, probably. Trying to figure out the whole publishing process and how to put, I wanted to do it myself. So just to have creative control over everything was a joy. I really loved it. And there's, you know, so many resources right now to writers if they really want to self-publish You can find really talented people to work with. And fortunately, I found just wonderful interior book designers and book cover designers and had a lot of fun with all of that. My background is also in design. So all of that was probably, like I said, as much fun. Is writing the novel. I have to say, I love how it looks. I was, I was literally looking at it the other day and I was trying to analyze like, what is it I love so much about the cover? You know, what is it? Is it the font? Like, would it be the same if it didn't have these little flourishes on the bottom of the eight of the letters? Like all these things are decisions. Sans serif. Yeah. yeah, I had to learn about that and think about that. I wanted it to look quite modern, but not too modern. So we went through a pile of fonts. Yeah. It doesn't, it does not look self published at all. Well, and thank I feel you. Like for saying many many self published yeah, books have a similar. Well, first of all, a lot of them are paperback. I would say. So, how did you go about choosing who to which service even to use? And then I want to go back to teaching yourself how to write a novel in two years because that's also yeah. so fascinating. Well, you know, print on de- demand is a fairly new thing, mm-hmm. and the biggest name in the industry is Ingram Spark. So mm-hmm. I looked at them. And I was more concerned about quality, yeah, really, than anything. Although I knew ultimately ebooks would be more important to me than anything. Hmm. I, for the most part, all of these beautiful little hardcover versions are <laughs> either gifts to people 
or the people that I know that love the way it looks have ordered them. But the vast majority of sales that I've had have been eBooks. So you kind of miss out on the experience of the beautiful hardcover novel. But I still like you, I love actual real books. You know, I read on my iPad all the time. When I travel, if I'm going to be reading at night. So I use it a lot. But if I really love the novel, sometimes I buy it in hardcover version, just so I can go back, read it again, make notes, think about it. So I thought I really wanted a beautiful hardcover novel. And it's pretty easy to find quality printers right now. And Ingram Spark is definitely one of them. Hmm. We're using Ingram. I started a publishing business that I announced last month or two months ago. Yeah. Distributed- I'm very excited for you. Congratulations. You. We're distributing through Ingram, but we're not printing there. But that's interesting. Oh, okay. So yeah. you're distributing. Yeah. Through them. Okay. Through them. Yeah. I mean, they've got a great network for sure. Libraries, bookstores, you name it. Is that how you distribute? Like, did they distribute your book or do they do that? Oh, yeah. They yeah. did it for you. Right. I think the first time I Googled my novel, it was kind of before the official launch date, which was June 1st of this last summer. It was already selling somewhere in Australia. What? No I was way. Like, That's what I said. What? <laughs> but they send out, you know, notices to everybody on the planet. I mean, they're a global company. Right. And anybody anywhere can order your novel if you sign up for that marketing package with them. So it was pretty cool. Huh. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And they put it in bookstores for you as well. If a bookstore orders it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. This is great to know for people interested in self-publishing, you know, it's, it's, there's so much to learn, but it's a really fun, creative business. And there are so many aspects to it that require that you really get up to speed with technology and you have to do a lot of research about, you know, how to go forward with creating something. But I found it really, really enjoyable. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
So yeah. how how did you market? How do you market? I think one thing people think is that by going with a traditional publisher, you get all the services associated with that publicity and marketing and all of that. How do you do it successfully when you're in charge only yourself? It's obviously much harder. I don't have the resources of a major publishing house behind me. So I've had to learn how to do everything, which was something I wanted to do anyway. So I hired a marketing professional who was in publishing for many years. And I hired a PR guy who was in publishing for many years. And they have both worked with me to teach me about how to market. And actually, you know, we're all kind of learning together at the same time about some things like Zoom is a pretty new thing Mm -hmm. for doing interviews and posting on Instagram and all of that. So, you know, some things we're learning together, but there are so many digital resources for writers. It helped to have professionals show me how to use them and manage a lot of it for me. So I've had to kind of, you know, build a team. Right. But it's possible to do it as an individual. I started my own little imprint. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. One book, you know, and one coming, one in the pipe, my next novel. Oh, what's your next novel? Well, I've been in Florida for 10 years now. Has it been that long? Maybe a little longer. And coming from New England to Florida was a real shock. And I was originally on the East Coast of Florida, which is where most people from the East Coast of the country go to. Then I ended up moving to the Orlando area. But I have to say, Florida is the weirdest melting pot on the planet. There's so much going on on a daily basis that is just off the charts. You would never see this stuff happening in Connecticut. New York is a little different. You see everything in New York. But I decided that it would be fun to write a Florida-based novel. And I love Carl Hyacin. He's someone who's written, you know, satire about Florida for a long time. He was born and raised in Miami. And I thought it would be fun to sort of move in that direction as far as the genre is concerned, because I prefer the, the humor anyway. And it comes more naturally to me. And I like to research, so I thought it would be really fun to do a sort of murder mystery where I put myself in the shoes of the protagonist who just happens to be a Connecticut transplant (laughs) in a fictional town in Florida, and she buys a bar in a little motel and just gets involved in a really weird murder. So that, you know, for me has been a lot of fun because I've just, instead of trying to do the angst and the intimacy and all those things that I really loved when writing Hungry Hill, I mean, it really made me think about who I am as a person and how I, how I wanted people to treat me and how I would like to treat people. That's kind of what Hungry Hill was an exercise in you know, how to be decent, how to be a a kind and decent person. So actually everybody in the novel has to be kind and decent. I made them that way, which is nice to have that kind of control. But Gatorland is just a little bit more of a free-for-all. Oh, that's what it's called, Gatorland? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I am enjoying that, although I have to say I'm spending more time on Hungry Hill right now than I am on Gatorland. So eventually I'll sit down and start pounding the keys and adding to my new novel. 
Well, I love it. You've essentially done what I'm doing. Like you started yeah. your own publishing company and that's pretty awesome. You could just br- start bringing in other authors and doing the same. I could, thing. I really could. I don't know if I want to work as hard as you work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love it. I almost would just give it away. You know, I just, it was so much fun and I had such a great time and he's, here are all the great people I've been working with. And yeah, I'm, I really do enjoy that. And I think it would be much easier right now to help somebody through the process because I've worked so hard to understand it and make it work for me. So I'm sure that you're going to enjoy it very much. Yes. But maybe I'll have you come like talk to our authors or something because, you know, it's so interesting the the experience you've had. It's a very unique, not unique. I mean, I guess it, it's a very specific experience. So right. From, well, I would love to do that. I mean, yeah. it's really is enjoyable if you approach it with the idea that you want to learn something, mm-hmm. you want to grow as a person, and you yeah. want to create something exceptional. Yeah, it's a great process. Do you know the author Deborah Royce by any chance? I know the name. I don't know if I've read anything by her. I feel like I need to introduce the two of you. I okay. think I just feel like you'd have a, a lot to chat in common. Yeah, I don't know. I'll I think you would check her out. I think you guys would have a nice lunch. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to join. That it, would sound but, great. But that sounds uh, <laughs> anyway, amazing. So after going through this whole thing, I'm very curious as to what advice you have from yes, the writing side, but also from the business side and taking your finance marketing brain and what you feel that authors really should know as they're getting into this? I think anybody approaching novel length fiction Mm -hmm. has got to understand that it's not easy, that, you know, there's a pretty steep learning curve. There's a lot of editing involved, you know, unless you come out of school with an MFA and you've been writing for years in college, undergrad and grad, which, you know, is a lot of people out there, but most of those people already have the tool set. If you don't already have the tool set, you really need to teach yourself and you need to read a lot of books about, you know, writing. You have to plow through the Chicago manual book, (laughs) book of style. And you have to spend, I spent a lot of time researching online. What do I do in this situation? What's the best way to transition? Or how do I stay intense? What if I want to mix my tenses? Or I want to do this or I want to do that? You have to educate yourself as a writer. And it probably helps to have a professional editor. That I highly recommend. (laughs) Someone who can say, you know, this is not working because. And they don't have to write for you. And they don't have to tell you how to write. They can just help you with mechanics. I was glad that I did that. And then in terms of the financial aspects of writing, I would say you really have to expect to spend money to launch yourself as a writer. And if you want to do it well, it's not an inexpensive proposition. You need to have a website that looks beautiful. You need to have somebody manage it if that's not your in your wheelhouse. You have to decide if you want to find a, an agent. And I did work with a couple of them and that process can be lengthy to find an agent. And then you have to go through the process of deciding, do you want to work with a publishing house that will have a lot of control over the final product? And for a lot of people, I think that's fine. I think if you can find a publisher 
and they want to work with you, that's probably the easiest route to go. There's, you know, in terms of cost, it's certainly a whole different animal. But I think if you really, really love to have control over every aspect of your writing, I highly recommend self-publishing. But it's not inexpensive. And if you really want things to look good, I think Hungry Hill is a pretty novel because I've worked with people who knew what they were doing, who could advise me and work with me and help my creative vision look professional. So it's not inexpensive if you want to self-publish. You can certainly team up. There's so many people now who are creating creating their own imprints. I would recommend doing that, teaming up with someone who's already done it, who knows what they're doing, who has a different cost structure, and who is someone who's looking for writers. And you probably in that situation, I don't know, you could speak to this better than I can. You probably have more creative control in that kind of situation too, where if you're working with a smaller imprint, but they already have a marketing uh, track, they know what they're doing, they know how to get you up and running, they know how to support you, but they're a smaller imprint, you probably would have more control, yes? (laughs) Probably. I don't know. One Probably. Maybe. But again, it's not inexpensive. It's a lot of work, but it can certainly be worth the effort. Love it. Well, I might follow up with you after this podcast for resource recommendations or things that you thought were amazing. So, well, I would love that. It's been a lot of fun. Great. Well, bravo to you. I mean, this is a total, you know, Eileen production here. So, (laughs) hats off for making this beautiful book. It must feel amazing to hold it in your hands and know that you had everything to do with every little piece of it and that it came out really, really, really well. It's really great. Thank you, Debbie. Very kind of you to say that. I appreciate it. It's really true. All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It was great to meet you. My pleasure. It was nice to meet you. We'll be, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. And uh, good luck with your son. I hope he's feeling better very soon. Kind of jealous. (laughs) Kind of. One one is good. Okay. We'll have a lovely day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you, Zibby. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.